Our Old Testament reading for us today comes from 2 Kings chapter 10, verse 15. I invite you to hear this word. When Jehu left there, he met Jehondab, son of Rakab, who was coming to meet him. After they greeted each other, Jehu said to him, Are you as loyal to me as I am to you? Yes, I am, Jehondab replied. If you are, Jehu said, then give me your hand. So Jehondab put out his hand, and Jehu helped him into the chariot. Our epistle reading, our New Testament reading for us today, comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 14 through 15. Hear these words. Then we will no longer be immature like children. We won't be tossed and blown about by envy, every wind of new teaching. We will not be influenced when people try to trick us with lies so clever that they sound like the truth. Instead, we will speak the truth in love, growing in every way more and more like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, we give you thanks for this day. We give you thanks for this time of discipleship and grace, and more importantly, this time to worship you. Lord, as we enter this time, turn off distractions of our day and our lives so that we may focus entirely upon your word speaking to us. Help us to hear your voice in this moment. And Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So the other day, I was traveling down the road. I was running some errands and had to go down US 60. We all go down US 60 just about every day, so that's a normal occurrence. Except for on this one particular day. So I was driving down this... I, do what my grandfather used to do, and that's have his head on a, wivel, on a pivot stick and, you know, just looking all over. And Abby says, I'm not focusing, but I just like to think I'm just looking at my surroundings. And I'm looking out, and I see this business. And I see this car, this truck, that's parked almost intentionally on the side of the road, almost as if it was parked there on a, for a purpose. And this truck, brown truck with white lettering painted on it, looked brand new, as if almost as if it was just done. And as I was driving by and I looked, I couldn't believe my eyes when it said, Let's go, Brandon. Have you heard that phrase? Let's go, Brandon? I can promise you that many people who drove down that road probably thought that that truck was just cheering on someone by the name of Brandon unless you know the story behind that phrase. A couple weeks ago, there was a race that was aired on NBC, an Xfinity race, the minor leagues of auto racing. And this guy wins his first race. Big deal, right? Wins his first race, big time celebration. And as the custom of television broadcasting has become now, they had him stop his car around the fan so that he could get out and do all the hooping and hollering and have his post-race interview. Well, this guy gets out, his name is Brandon Brown, or Brandon Downs, one of the two. 
He gets out. He's all happy. And the reporter, she's ready to go interview him. And next thing that you know, the crowd is chanting. And it's a little bit inaudible at first, but then you can make out very clearly what they're saying. And they're not saying, let's go, Brandon. They're saying something derogatory towards the president. I ain't going to say what he said because we ain't nice, polite company. And if you heard the pastor say those things, you'll be like, are you watching WVU football again? But the announcer caught on, but thought that she, they, she heard them say, let's go, Brandon. And she reports back to the driver, isn't it great that all these people are chanting your name? And next thing you know, social media lights up, mocking the reporter, like how dare she misses what we were actually saying. And it became an instant internet meme for the last month of any way that you can say to be derogatory or defense or dismissive without being so. The phrase makes a trending topic almost daily and in fact has been seen at World Series games this week. A way for us to mock or demean one another without coming off as if we have. I can't help but think if that's just picture perfect of where we are in society today. We've grown accustomed to driving down the sideway and seeing somebody put graffiti based upon whatever president they like or don't like. And it's nonpartisan. You can drive down and see a Republican berated or you can see a Democrat berated. We've gotten used to being on social media and somebody within five seconds has told somebody that they're horrible because of whatever view they had for a specific moment. Even more, we've gotten used, so used to anger that we've just gotten par the course. We've allowed it to become part of who we are. Almost to the point where we just are used to it now, Pastor. We live in divided times. You've heard me say that before. One of my pastoral focuses is on how the faith of our lives interacts in public society. We call that public theology. And one of the things I, I reflect on is how much we have become divided over the last 10 or 15 years, but even more so over perhaps the last 30 or 40 to where we are so angry with each other, we don't even recognize it half the time. And in fact, from a sociological perspective, we could argue that we are more divided today than at any other point in human history since the Civil War. Now, that's scary. And we can say, well, that doesn't affect us, Pastor. We love each other. We're good and wholesome. We treat each other with kindness and grace. And yet, when I scroll down the internet, I see all of us participate in this. I see members at former churches participate in this. I see us say things like, I can't believe someone could be a Christian and vote for that guy. Or I can't believe they voted for that person and claimed to be a Christian. How dare they be a Republican or a Democrat and claim to be a Christian? We've allowed our political divisions to affect us. But is this what God calls us to be about? 
How are we to respond in these divided times? How are we to be the church that's called to be welcoming and loving of all people? Even those no good so-and-sos that we disagree with. How are we to extend the arms of welcome and the arms of grace to people we disagree with? And of all the things that we've talked about in this series of embracing, this might be the hardest because it is the most real and the most practical and the one that affects all of our lives today. So as we talk, I'm not worried about society. I'm not worried about how to fix the division that is affecting the people that are walking around Kroger right now. I'm worried about it, but that's not my focus right now. My focus is on us, the church, both big C and little c. But to get into an idea of where we are with this concept of how do we welcome, how do we love God, how do we love each other, how do we welcome our political differences, I think we need to take a snapshot about where we are today. So over the last few days, many of you participated in a survey that we sent out, describing different things from a, asking of different things from a political perspective of how we interact and how we view one another. And for the first time, perhaps in my ministry, you're going to see me pull notes because it's actually going to be easier for me to see it on my tablet than to pull it up there. So I apologize that I'm going to be looking at this on my screen. But we asked clergy, we asked lady in this church, and then we asked lady from across the community, their perspective on different questions. I will say that for everyone, laity, you, and clergy, we all agreed on one thing. We're divided. It wasn't unanimous. It was like 95% on every single one of them. There was one person in all three polls that said, we are united today. And so I want to say to those people that voted that we're united, I want your optimism. I want that kind of optimism. I want that kind of grace and that kind of just general optimistic perspective about the world. And I want to just say thank you for that. Because we need that kind of optimism in divided times to find what holds us together, not what tears us apart. So whomever in our church said that we're united, I want to just say thank you. Because that meant the world to me. But I want to walk through some of these responses and talk a little bit about them as we go forward. So here's the first one that comes up. So this is from P. Ridge. I have more friends who share my political views than I do who share different political views. You see, 36% of you say that's false, but 63% of you say, you know what, that's true. I have more friends that share my, my own political view than a different view. We own, we own that, right? We know that that's, pro that's probably true. That's a little bit reflective of us, perhaps. Let's look at the next one. This is from general laity. So this is people outside the church that go to church on a regular basis. 71% said, you know what? I have more friends that are outside the church. I mean, that are, hold my value than not. 71%. What I think that says about, from both those groups for us and, and also general lady is that it says something about friendships. We like to have friends of people that share our same values that we hold something in common with. 
But I think it also says something else, that we are just as susceptible about separating ourselves from anyone that we don't really agree with, even if we are a part of the church. So that's, I think, significant for us to look at. So let's look at this next one. I have knowingly or unknowingly shared an image on social media, a post that was demeaning of someone I disagree with. Now, the reason why we put that knowingly or unknowingly is sometimes we can send something that was fake in nature and then not realize it until somebody caught us on it. And so I want you to look at this. 67% of us said, no, I've never done that. But notice over there, 32, that's a pretty significant minority. That, that kind of shook me a little bit, 32%. Now let's look at the next one. How does that relate to general laity? 90% said, no, I've never done that. 9% said they have. I will say this, I think the 90% was being a little bit more idealistic. I don't know who responded to the survey. I know my in-laws did. But I think that's a little bit more idealistic than true based on what I see on a regular basis on social media. So I'm gonna take that for face value, but I think that's a little higher than what I see. Does that make sense? So let's go down. So let's, what, how do we wanna see the church? So I want my church to reflect my political view. 74% said no. That's not a main priority for us and for me. But 25% said yeah. My church needs to reflect my political views. That I need that in my when I come to this church, I need to make sure that I'm affirmed in where I believe. Now look at the next one, general laity. I want my church to reflect my political views. 85% said that's false, 14% said true. Again, I think that's a little bit higher on the false side than reality. I think it's probably a little closer on that 70, 30, 80, 20 split. Let's look at the next one though. I want my pastor to affirm my political views. Same percentages, 74% said false, 25% said true. Pastor, when you get up here, I don't want you to, I need to make sure that you talk about my politics. I need to make sure you're on my team. Let's look at that one, general lady. Next one over, 90% said false, 10% said true. Again, could be a little higher on the false side, but... So that gives us a picture of where we are as a church. We kind of think about politics, don't we? We kind of want, there's some of us that want the church to be more political, want me to be more political. That's okay no matter where you are. I think we need to see a snapshot of all this. Just as much as we need to see a snapshot of my fellow brothers and sisters and my partners in ministry, and that's the clergy. Some of these responses, I will tell you, shook me to a core. And we'll talk about that in a moment. So let's look at this first one. My church is aligned with my political views. 68% of clergy said no. My church is not aligned with me politically. But 31% said, yep, we're good. We're, we're both, we're all in this together. We're lockstep. One of the things I think is shocking on that one is just we, we're paying attention to those things. Maybe not as shocking, but I think we need to hear that clergy are looking at that. We're paying attention to where we are if we're in alignment. Now look at this next one. 
I prefer serving a church that supports my political views and philosophies. 57% of clergy, now this is mostly clergy in our conference, said, no, that's not my preference. But 43%, almost half, said, you know what? I need that. I need to make sure that we're both in this together. That tells me something. That we're looking to be on the same page. But perhaps, too, that we're being driven by those things of politics and our ideologies. I'll say some more here once we get through. But this next one. I've been asked to leave a church because of my political views did not align with the church's views. 77% said false, 18% said true, and 4% said, you know what, I'm not sure. I gave people on that one a, a chance to say not sure because sometimes we don't, we're not always told why we're, why we're being asked to leave. I will decide, define a little bit, though, of that not sure one because I know who that one is personally. That's me. Though I've never been asked to leave a church, I do know of one church that I was made very miserable because a small vocal minority didn't think I was aligned with their political views. and made my life so miserable to where I asked to leave. Did they want me to leave? I don't know. But I do know that they made my life miserable because of their presumptions. I have a hard time accepting a member of my church who has, shares a different political view than my own. 90% said that's false. I can love my church no matter where they are. Based on some of the other things that we've seen, I think you're going to be shocked by the ne- you won't be shocked by the next one. But I will say, I think that's a little too high based upon things we've seen already. But look at the next one. I have a hard time accepting other clergy who do not share my political view. 36%, close to 40, say, no, I cannot accept another pastor who does not share my views. When you look at our ecclesiology that says that my church membership is not at Pea Ridge, it is with the orders of elders in the annual conference, It says there's a good percentage of my brothers and sisters that will not accept me if we're not on the same team. That breaks my heart. But this one probably won't shock you at all. Let's look at the last one. I've experienced an increased amount of division or anger in the churches I've served over the last five years. 86% said true. 13% said false. 86% said, you know what, I've seen our churches get more angry, more divisive, and more frustrating in the last five years. And I will say that I've seen it myself. You can take the slides off. I've seen that myself. In the last few churches I've served, I've seen more anger. I have seen meetings get more angry at one another. I've seen more divisiveness. I've seen more backstabbing. It breaks my heart. So in all of this, the reason why I showed it is I think it's sometimes good to see numbers because I think sometimes we all go with this mindset that we're all in this together. We all have the same thoughts. We all have the same views. Everybody here, we're all happy, happy to go lucky. 
I think what it shares is that we've, we think politically. We think about this. We reflect upon this. And I think for my clergy brethren, and I'm going to share a little bit more about this later today, I think we get a little too focused on our politics to the point where it drives everything. Look for me to post something a little bit later on that one because I've been reflecting a little bit. But I want you to see all this because we can't really get into how to deal with it until we know what's really there. And what we see is that, yeah, it's, it's not good. It's, we're dealing with this right now. So how do we get forward? How do we work together in that 75-25? How do we work together in that 51-48? How do we work together if we're not on the same page? We live with civility. We live with empathy. And we seek Christian understanding with one another. That's all good and fun to say that find civility, find you know, empathy, listen to one another. That's all good and it's true, pastor, but that's a no good so-and-so over there. But that no good so-and-so, and here's the why of this, that no good so-and-so is still loved by God. That Republican you may not like, that Democrat you may not like, that politician that gets on your nerves still has the Imago Dei in their heart. And they're still a child of God and a person of value and worth. Even though we may not see it, even though we may look at that person and think, how dare they? God looks at them and says, you are my child. And I don't get you sometimes, but I love you. The same thing that Jesus does for us. God looks at us in our imperfections, in our places where someone looks at us and says, that no good so-and-so, and says, I love you. I love you. And so the first way that for us to really understand how we're to do this or why we're supposed to do this is that God loves everyone. And there's no prerequisites to that love. There's no prerequisites to building that. Every single person has the Imago Dei written in their heart. And so because of that, it calls us to think through how we're to live with one another and how we're to live with civility with one another and with kindness and grace towards one another and perhaps finding places of commonality with one another. I'm a big believer in finding the middle way of taking diverse views and diverse people and people that just want to get mad at each other and find opposing views and say, how can we work together? What can we have in common with each other? That's a, it's a theory that comes from John Wesley in his sermon called The Catholic Spirit. It's one of his main 52 sermons that we were all called to study in seminary and write outlines for and everything else. But in this sermon, he's looking at that Old Testament passage we read earlier, and he looks at it and he says, there's something that brought them together. It was their mutual desire to clean the place of Israel away from false worship. And so Jehud and Jehondab, and I'm pretty sure when I get home, Abby's going to tell me I mispronounced it at least six times. She's the Hebrew expert, I'm not. 
they said, you know what? We're different. Your one's the king of Israel and Jehu, the other is a Gentile. But we can find something to work together on and find commonality with. John Wesley said, even though we may not think alike, may we be able to love alike. Even though we don't agree on everything, even though we may not see eye to eye with each other, may we love alike. May we find a way to work together in the midst of things and find those places that we hold in common with each other and work together for the common good. We don't have to always focus on what we disagree with each other on. We don't have to always focus on what we can't stand about each other. We don't have to focus on what we don't like about each other. What can we focus on that's positive? What can we focus on that holds us together? And in the church, we can focus in on the fact that we're all trying to love God. That we're all trying to grow as disciples and that we're all trying to serve the Lord together. You probably get tired of me saying that every week, but the reason why I say that so much is for us to focus in on what matters and what's most important. We can find things that we hold together and bring them into conversations. We can work through our disagreements. But we gotta turn down the anger. I put my Facebook page up on when I'm working a lot because that way I can see things. And also to its easiest way, sometimes I find out about prayer requests. But I look through the day and I can see posts. And I see these posts, and sometimes from us, from members of our own church that are just so divisive of one another. That dismeans each other simply because I don't like you. Even more, I see it in our school boards lately. This anger simply because I don't like what you're doing or I disagree with you. It broke my heart all summer in the early fall when I would turn on the news and I would see these fights break out in a board of education meeting, the most boring thing I've ever had to cover in my life. And yet they turned into professional wrestling. I remember seeing one image and one video where this kid was describing what it was like to lose his grandmother to COVID. And someone in the audience was mocking the kid. I guarantee you that some of the people in those rooms professed a love of Christ. I guarantee you that they thought it was okay to post that meme or post or get angry at each other because, well, they're not Christian like I'm Christian. But when we're so angry at each other that we can't hear from each other, that we can't talk to one another, we're not living as followers of Christ. James says for us to be slow to speak, quick to listen, and slow to anger. When we're so angry with each other, and we're so mad at each other, we can't hear what someone is dealing with. When Abby and I are angry at home, all we do is fight and yell and, and mad when you're angry with each other. You're not listening to someone's pain. You're not listening to somebody's story. I'm just as bad about it. 
But if we're not paying attention to each other, if we're going to break down these walls of division, we got to turn down the anger so we can listen and pay attention to one another. And be in love with each other. To be committed to each other. Love is not about huppy do go lucky gooey feelings. It is about being committed and patient with one another. Being true to one another. But when we love each other, when we have a commitment and wanting the best of each other, then we can speak the truth in love. Because seeking civility, seeking compassion, and finding understanding doesn't mean that we don't speak truth. We are called to speak truth with one another, but do so in love. Do so with a desire for us to work together, not as a way to say, I'm not going to be with you anymore because you don't agree with me. But we stand up against things that are wrong. We stand up for the injustices that God calls us to stand up against, racism, bigotry, sexism, and all of that. But we do it out of love, and we do it out of a witness of God, not in my way, your way. But for us to do all of this, we have to get our priorities right. Richard Nierber once wrote in his book, Christ and Culture, that our ideologies inform our theology. And what he means by that is, is whether or not we're a Republican or a Democrat or a conservative or progressive, it informs how we view our theology. We've got to turn that conversation around the other way. That our faith in God, our love of God, and our desire to be a witness of God informs how we see the world. But that means we have to talk about some taboo things. Because what happens when we don't talk about things that are taboo, who informs us in those conversations? Our politicians, our reporters, our friend with that social media meme that we like so much. We've got to do a better job teaching where's God at in the midst of these issues, in the midst of these struggles that we deal with. And do so in a, in a respectful way to where it's not just us bringing in our emotions and our, our views, but we're saying, God, where are you in the midst of this story? That's always been a passion of mine to take these issues that we deal with and, and walk it through the Wesleyan quadrilateral so that we don't deal with just what our politicians are telling us. But we deal with what God is telling us. And I think if we live that way, we can be the church. And we can be the church that is welcoming and loving and reflective on the questions that we all have for one another. Because in everything that we do, we're called to be the church. The ongoing witness of Jesus Christ in a broken and hurting world. And the place where our world is broken the most right now is in our divisions. And so we're called to reflect a better way. A way where we say, it doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter if you're progressive or conservative, doesn't matter if you're socialist or capitalist. We love you. And though we may disagree from time to time, though we may struggle with one another from time to time, though we may want to flick each other's ears, we're going to seek, seek to learn and seek to understand and seek to build bridges towards one another.
And we're going to make a promise that we're not going to live in anger, but we're going to live in love. In everything we've talked about in this series, whether it's welcoming younger generations, whether it's welcoming the outcasts, or even welcoming the political other, the common denominator in all that is how we love. And how we keep a witness of love when it is hard to do. But Christ didn't promise us an easy walk. He called us to be like him. Who welcomed the outcast. Who loved the political other enough to speak truth to them. And even welcomed in his discipleship group people from different viewpoints and different walks of life but brought us all together under the love of God and the desire to grow with God. So in these divided times, in a time where we're so angry and dismissive of one another, may we not all think alike, but may we all love alike. And may that be the challenge for us as we leave this place. Will you pray with me? Most holy and gracious God, Father, Lord, how hard it is right now to be a witness of love in divided times. How easy it is for us to be defined by our anger and our dismissiveness of one another. But in the places, God, where we as people or where we as a church have allowed our divisions to define us, God, we ask for your forgiveness. But Lord, we ask for you to move in our hearts and move into our soul to enable us to be a witness of love. Through Christ we pray, amen.